Welcome back to Curious Combinations, and everything's an original podcast. I'm AF Teneth, and today I'm covering Vampire Night, Season 1, Episodes 1 through 3. Now, while I have never seen or read Vampire Night before, I have been familiar with it for a very long time. When the manga was originally published in 2004, I was 11, and when it came to America in 2005, the same year that Twilight was published, I was 12. Now, for the Zoomers in the audience too young to remember the early to mid-2000s, 2004 to 2008 or so was the era of the preteen vampire obsession. Contrary to popular belief, this craze was not created by the publication of Twilight. By the time Twilight came around, we had already been gorging ourselves on Buffy and Angel, Ellen Sheever's Vampire Kisses series, R.L. Stein's Dangerous Girls, and Goodnight Kiss series, Christopher Pike's The Last Vampire series, Carolyn B. Cooney's The Vampire's Promise series, and many, many others. Rather than sparking this trend, Twilight capitalized on this thirst for the romanticized undead, and with an enormous abundance of luck, managed to leverage it into one of the most profitable and popular fandoms ever and that fandom's omnipresence, in turn, killed off the craze. By the time the final Twilight book came out, I, for one, was entirely done with my former favorite horror monster. And when Paranormal Activity got its wide release the year after Breaking Dawn came out, vampires surrendered their place in my heart to demons. So, Vampire Night has always existed kind of in the periphery of my preteen and teenage years. I knew about the series because there was this ongoing friction between its fans and Twilight's fans, a friction that seemed a bit intimidating to someone outside of either fandom. In 2008, the same year as Twilight was adapted into a movie, Vampire Night was adapted into an anime, and I actually ended up finding out about the anime's existence via my discovery of the song Still Doll by Kanon Wakashima, which serves as the show's outro. But at the time, I wasn't interested in watching subs. I had lost most of my interest in vampire media, and between you and me, I was still suffering with dial-up, so I didn't even try to get into the show. I just knew about it, always assuming that it was something I would really enjoy if I ever did decide to give it a go, and way back then, I all but guarantee I read a bunch of spoilers. What these spoilers were, I mostly do not recall. I do, however, remember a big one. The big one, I think. If you don't want me to spoil a big twist in the series for you, you are going to want to hold off on listening to my coverage until after you've seen the show. The nature of this spoiler is such that I will be referencing it a lot during my coverage of the show, I suspect. So go watch, and then get back to me. All done? Alright, here we go. I'm gonna spoil it. I am 99% sure that the twist of this series is that the main character, Yuki, and her brunette love interest, Kaname, our brother and sister. How is this possible, given that Kaname is apparently a pure-blood vampire and Yuki is, by all appearances, a normal human girl? I don't know, and I'll have many guesses as we move through the show, I'm sure, but I'm quite positive that this is one of those very mid-2000s her love interest is secretly her brother stories, and who the hell knows why that was such a common trope at the time. And moreover, I'm also 99% sure that this incest is a bit worse than that. In a very Harry Potter fashion, the purebloods in the Vampire Night series are committing generations of incest to preserve their genes and abilities, and so Yuki's parents, as far as I understand it, are also a brother and sister couple. That could be wrong. I might be misremembering or misunderstanding or perhaps even confusing this series with some other vampire story, but I think I'm right. And not that it counts for a ton in anime, but there is definitely a strong resemblance between Yuki and Kaname, and it certainly goes a long way toward explaining why he would save her as a child in the first place. But how and why is she human? Well, I can't wait to find out. So let's get into this recap. 
Episode 1 is titled Night of the Vampires, which is a perfectly applicable but rather boring title. And the episode opens on a very detached, perhaps traumatized monologue. Yuki is a five-year-old human girl lost in a snowstorm, dreamily contemplating the difference between white, pure, innocent, cold, snowy, and red visceral, bloody, aggressive, and dangerous. Someone approaches her from out of the trees and asks with glowing eyes to suck her blood. But this man does not, of course, actually care about her consent. There are certain pedophilic undertones to this scene, certainly, and this man, this vampire, clearly intends to drain her dry. Yuki describes vampires as, quote, taking on human forms, which interestingly hints at shape-shifting, perhaps in a very blood-plus, corruptoron manner. The vampire lunges at Yuki, intent upon eating her, and then Kaname comes to her rescue. Unless my eyes deceive me, he shoves his hand right through the other vampire's head or neck, which is a move and a half, good lord, and then he helps Yuki to her feet. From there, she will be adopted by Kayan Cross, the headmaster of a vampire-human co-ed academy that Yuki, Kaname, and her other love interest slash sort of brother, Zero, will attend. Cut to Cross Academy ten years in the future. Yuki is now Yuki Cross, the headmaster's daughter and a member of the disciplinary committee tasked with keeping human day students separate from the inhuman night students. We'll get into my thoughts on this whole school setup sooner or later, but let me go ahead and say right now that I think it, the very basic premise of this show, is deeply fanfic, if you know what I mean. It doesn't really make any sense for a whole host of reasons, but it sure is the perfect setup for peak teen vampire romance drama, isn't it? Anyway, Yuki squabbles with the entirety of the day class as she tries to hammer it into their pea brains that, hey, maybe they shouldn't be harassing the absolute shit out of the night class. And oh boy, are all of these girls supremely annoying. The vampire girls seem to have like a haughty rich girl kind of thing going on, but at least they're not this weird boy-crazy stereotype that shows up so often in shoujo background schoolgirls. So the school gates open to let out the night class, and one of them, a blue-eyed blonde named Ido, is apparently capable of making them all lose their collective minds, except for Yuki, who has eyes only for Kaname, whose reciprocated interest drives the other girls to further madness. But Kaname's familiarity with Yuki is not appreciated by her other brother, excuse me, her other love interest, an ominously white-haired anime boy named Zero. Hopefully for Yuki's sake, he'll stay on the jerk side of the white-haired anime boy's scale rather than descending into full-blown villainy. Not that having a jackass as a love interest is much better than having an outright villain, though, to be honest. And while we're on the subject of this guy, let me genuinely say that while I think it's Kaname who is her biological brother, Zero is the one who is actually acting like he's related to her. Zero and Yuki have a very sibling rivalry relationship going on here, and, um, well, it's not entirely honest for me to say that I look forward to seeing how that evolves into a romantic relationship, but, well, I hope it's at least deftly handled, I suppose? Anyway, I think it's here that I would best say that I don't really understand the point of the night class. While monsters going to school with regular kids is a long-established trope at this point, from Twilight to Teen Wolf, it doesn't even look like the night class is actually, you know, attending class. They don't appear to be learning anything, and we only see a teacher for less than a single second across the span of these three episodes. There's mention that they were the inventors of the blood tablet, which I suppose is something akin to true blood, and is definitely impressive. I just don't really get what they're doing here. It really does just seem like extraordinarily shallow world building. Our main character is an ordinary high school girl, and so what easier way to get her in close proximity to the vampire characters than to just make them other students? Who cares why it works that way? Just accept the premise and move on. Except that I'm not an accept and move on person. I will endeavor to do so, sure, but I won't be happy about it. I really hope to see some elaboration of the world building on this front. At some point in this series, I want to see these damn vampire kids learn something. Like, maybe instead of lounging around trying to look sexy, we could make them take a math test. Anything. 
something. So during class, such as it is, Ido is complaining about how irritating he finds Zero, especially Zero's dislike for Kaname, and one of the girls taunts him about having a crush. If we're being honest, I think she's sort of right, but slightly off track. She seems to be accusing Ido of having a crush on Zero, when I think it's pretty obvious that he's actually crushing on Kaname. Either way, though, one of the other vampire boys, and I don't know this one's name, he remarks upon Yuki and how she looks yummy according to the English subs, which of course catches Kaname's attention. Little Miss points out people's crushes, points out his obvious interest in her, and he doesn't deny it. Whether Ruka is jealous over this, I'm not sure but I wouldn't be surprised. From here, we find Yuki and Zero in conversation with their quirky dad, Kyan Cross. He is a complete weirdo in myriad ways, but we get some hints of his motivation here. He identifies himself as a pacifist, but I think it's more accurate to call him an idealist. The point of Cross Academy is promoting interspecies harmony. He intends to prove that vampires and humans can live in harmless proximity provided that everyone's on their best behavior, but it's kind of an insane troll logic plan. As the disciplinary committee, Yuki and Zero have been charged with keeping the secret of the night class's vampirism from the day class, which is batshit insane. If your school has two shifts and one of them fully intends to eat the other, that is not a good school. Cross seems to almost purposefully be setting up the vampire students for inevitable failure to resist their thirst and the human students for inevitable murder, so... Why not tell the truth? Why maintain this masquerade in the first place? Why not tell the day class what the danger is? If Buffy and Twilight and yes, even Vampire Knight have taught us anything, it's that telling teen girls they're crushing on a vampire does not in fact deter them. The day class would not suddenly turn on the night class if the secret were revealed, and I can't imagine how the revelation would affect the night class's behavior in any way, so like... I don't know, it just seems safer for everyone, and the way the Cross Academy is working right now really kind of seems like the worst possible setup, hurtling toward the worst possible outcome. But I guess we'll see. In any case, Zero violently objects to being called Cross's son, perhaps because he already has a romantic interest in Cross's daughter, Yugi. Either way, Cross himself is a complete and utter nut, and I can't pretend that I expect to be distressed when this utter lunacy blows up in his face. This dude's grip on reality is so loose, he might genuinely drop it at any point. Afterward, Yuki runs into Kaname and another vampire in the hall and gets so embarrassed that she outright runs the hell away. And Kaname's friend clarifies that Kaname is something called a pureblood, which, again, really gives Harry Potter. Except that in the Vampire Knight universe, there really is a concrete difference between the purebloods and the Muggleborns, if you will. Apparently, as is revealed in the third episode, only purebloods are capable of turning humans into vampires via bite. It's an interesting bit of world-building, working to tie the idea of vampire nobility and or a vampire caste system into long-standing tropes of vampiric siren. But in the same way as there's an unspoken population crisis happening in the background of the Harry Potter series, I think the rarity of pureblood vampires and the fact that only they can turn people inherently means that the entire concept of turning is endangered, no? That's a hugely fascinating world-building detail with enormous potential, because what does the world look like if vampires can only breed babies and cannot turn adults? But I don't really expect this show to do much with that kind of a societal issue, so... I don't know, maybe give me a wreck if you know any property that does explore that kind of a premise, and if no one's done it yet, I'm just gonna let that idea start gathering dust and maybe germinating in the back of my mind for a while. So cut to Zero, whose eyes flash suddenly red, hinting at vampirism, and he drops a pack of blood pills. Given his extreme hatred for vampires, you'd think he wouldn't already be at the stage of having to take blood pills without making more of an enormous fuss, but... Well, apparently that's where we're at. He is turning into a vampire, whether he likes it or not, and everyone is in some degree of denial about it. 
The next night, Zero and Yuki debate the humanity, for lack of a better word, of the vampire students. Zero utterly hates them, which is perfectly understandable given the death of his whole family to vampires four years ago, but it definitely means that he's got a heaping helping of self-hatred in his future. And when the conversation ends, it's Yuki who stumbles upon two day-class students lurking around in the trees, eager to spy on the night class. One of them, though, is injured. Worse, she's bleeding. And out comes Ido and his definitely not boyfriend, whose name I haven't yet caught. Kane, I think? Maybe? Anyway, blood pills are apparently not particularly satisfying, as these two are out hunting mere droplets. Yuki, for her part, is horrible at her job. Her entire purpose at this school is to protect the students from the vampires, but she is immediately defeated by Ido with virtually no effort on his part, and little on hers. Instead of even trying to fight him after he grabs hold of her stick thing, she lets him take her by the hand and prick her skin with his fang, which finally scares the peeping girls into passing out. Q0 showing up to play hero. Turns out he's got the weapon that's actually worth a damn. It's some kind of a magic gun, and the warning shot that he fires scares the shit out of both Ido and Kane. We'll learn why soon enough. This gun apparently fires some kind of a magic spell or something that turns vampires into dust as surely as a stake to the heart does in the Buffyverse. This gun apparently is called a Bloody Rose Gun, or perhaps it's THE Bloody Rose Gun? But if it's not a supernatural style, there's only one demon-killing cult in the world type of gun, then I'ma need someone to get Yuki one of these two. She can't just run around trying to hit these bloodsuckers in the head with a fucking stick. Get this bitch a magic gun! So out comes Kaname. He takes Ido and Kane to the headmaster, and his Rei Ayanami-looking sidekick swoops in to erase the two unconscious girls' memories of Ido trying to eat Yuki in the less fun but not least fun kind of way. And Zero puts a swift end to the moment of tension between himself, Yuki, and Kaname by dragging Yuki away and telling her that Ido's nick on her palm should serve as a reminder of the night class's monstrous nature. Later, when these siblings, or love interests, or sibling love interests, squabble over the use of the bathroom, Yuki wonders idly whether Ido's bite might turn her into a vampire. That's not how it works, as we'll learn, but it does tell us something interesting about Zero. He's turning into a vampire himself, and since only pureblood vampires can do that, we know that Zero's family was killed by a pureblood. At this point in the story, I know of only three of those. Kaname, his mother, and his father, who are also Yuki's mother and father, unless I'm very much mistaken. Which I suppose means that Yuki is also a pureblood, except that she's human. Like I said, no idea how that works. Now, episode two is titled Memories of Blood, which, once again, is a very generic vampire story title that doesn't actually tell us anything about the episode specifically. It's certainly a far cry from titles like Save Mokuba, Kaiba vs. Pegasus, or Two Ultimate Evolutions, Get Rid of the Darkness, that tell you exactly what an episode is about. That's the kind of title I am more familiar with in anime, the kind of title that spells out what the whole episode is going to be. But anyway, it's apparently now St. Chocolatel's Day, and you'll have to forgive my pronunciation, which is apparently a fictional holiday that appropriates the Nahuatl word chocolatel for a Valentine's Day type of chocolate exchange. Fun fact, chocolatel actually effectively translates to bitter water, because Aztec chocolate was a bitter and spicy drink, not sweet little blocks of what we call chocolate. Why this show couldn't just use Valentine's Day for this episode, I have no idea. Perhaps it's that St. Chocolatel's Day is a very gendered holiday, with the girls being the ones who are giving chocolate to the boys, and so the boys of the day class bemoan their misfortune. The girls of Cross Academy don't give two fucks about them, not when those ethereally beautiful night class boys are hanging around. Yuki asks her friend Yori about whether or not she's planning to give any boys chocolate, and unlike Yuki, Yori seems to be telling the truth when she says that she's not. And I will eat my hat if this is not the fandom's primary femslash ship. 
The next day, after Yuki and Zero have been tasked with getting both the humans and the vampires safely through this chocolate nonsense, Konami pauses to have another moment of tension with Zero. He clearly knows that Zero's change into a vampire is reaching its climax, but he doesn't say so. He doesn't really say anything, in fact. It's just a moment of uncomfortable tension, and then it moves on, and I'll eat my hat if this isn't the Phantom's primary mail-slash-ship. That was inevitable, of course, in a very Spike and Angel and Edward and Jacob kind of way, but these two seem to have a genuine vibe between them that's a little bit more concrete than just being the two male ends of a woman-centered love triangle. I, well, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes for reasons entirely unrelated to my preferred solution to the Spike versus Angel ship wars. Totally unrelated. That night, Yuki tries her hand at homemade chocolate and does a truly awful job. She comes out of it with only one edible chocolate, and Zero will soon have some opinions on her idea of what is and is not edible. Speaking of his diet, though, he spends the night out in the hall, refusing to drink the blood pill that Kayan offers him. Far be it from me to figure out what in the hell is going on in his head. So the next day, Yuki helps keep the peace on the chocolate nonsense. The vampires aren't largely interested in this so-called holiday, and good for them, but most of them try to humor the humans to a certain extent, though they do call it quits before Yuki gets her chance to give Konami her gift. And, bringing me to the moment when I decided there might be a proper solution to this love triangle after all, it's Zero who nonchalantly gives Konami Yuki's chocolate after Konami has already told everyone that he's not accepting any more. And Konami, of course, accepts it because it comes from Yuki, via Zero. And I, well, it's episode two, and I don't really particularly like any of these characters yet, but the vampire-obsessed middle schooler buried deep down inside me would like me to let you know that she already wholeheartedly ships these three, so there's that. Out in the woods that night, a majority of the night class confront Zero over his treatment of Konami. Ido shows off some kind of ice powers or something while Kain makes these little fireballs show up, and when I say I want to get a better grasp on the world building here, this is the shit that I mean. This is like elemental magic. You're telling me that these vampires can walk in the sun with little to no problem, look virtually identical to normal humans, can mind control people and erase memories, and they have elemental magic powers? What the fuck can't they do? Forget purebloods like Konami trying to keep everyone in line, why haven't these been ruling the world for millennia if they can do all of this shit without even breaking a sweat. The vampires disperse, though, without anyone actually fighting right after Yuki appears. The reason why is obvious. They claim that it's because she killed the vibe or whatever, but it's obviously actually a matter of not wanting to get in trouble for potentially hurting Lord Kaname's pet human. So the vampires go, and Zero and Yuki get into another tiny little fight, but they make up before long, and Yuki ends up hand-feeding him a chocolate, which is definitely not brother and sister behavior, nor are the long-lingering looks of hunger that Zero keeps giving Yuki's neck. On to the next episode. Our title is The Fang of Penitence, which is certainly something. The gimmick of this one is dorm inspection, and it opens with a bizarre scene of Kind confronting Aido over his collection of random junk vaguely related to Konami. That he has this at all is hella pathetic, and that Konami forces him to trash it makes the thing move into secondhand embarrassment territory. And the kids in the day class aren't doing a whole hell of a lot better. Yuki is running around taking away stalker photos that the day class took of the night class, and it's a whole mess. I have gotta reiterate, I don't get why these two populations are anywhere near each other, or at least why the day class doesn't know the truth, since they're putting their lives in danger just by being here. Now, before Yuki and Zero make it into the night class dormitory, though, they get sidetracked. Yuki snatches the mysterious something that Zero is hiding in his pocket, and for some reason doesn't immediately recognize it as a container of blood pills. Upset, Zero leaves the school and heads into town, and Yuki follows, despite apparently having such awful PTSD that being away from Zero and or Cayenne gives her flashbacks and makes her almost useless. 
Beyond her uselessness, though, she's also a moron. A little boy catches her attention and then runs away, serving as the single most obvious lure I have ever seen. He leads her further and further into the town, down alleyways and staircases, until Yuki is far from anyone who would have been able to help her. And then, to the surprise of no one except the girl whose literal job it is to protect people from vampires, the little boy reveals that he is himself a vampire, and that he's working with a grown woman vampire, too, and the two of them absolutely intend to eat Yuki. Luckily for her, Zero hears her screams. Yuki runs, fleeing from hungry little boy and hungry lady, and ends up trying to hide in a bell tower. She's apparently having a crisis over having met a vampire who wasn't, quote, beautiful and adored by everyone, which is just utterly bizarre. Like, why is that the thing you're worried about right now? How badly did Kaname and Kayan Cross fuck up your head that you were nearly eaten ten years ago, and again, like, two days ago? And yet somehow you consider vampires to be these paragons of beauty and virtue. I... I just wish I could say that I like Yuki, but at this point in the story, she is not a compelling character. She's dumb and incompetent, and I really hope that improves as we move forward through this narrative. Otherwise, I'm probably going to end up shipping Zero and Konami together without her. Anyway, a hungry lady vampire assaults Zero at first. She stops at the last moment, recognizing him as a fellow vampire, which infuriates him and makes him pull the trigger on the Bloody Rose gun, which blasts her into atoms. Hungry little boy, though, he goes after Yuki, and Zero doesn't get there fast enough, presumably because he's struggling to resist the urge to drain Yuki dry himself. But Yuki, of course, is too useless to save herself. No, she gets saved once again by Kaname, who remarks that the little boy vampire is a poor thing who has, quote, lapsed into this state, implying that this is a fate that could befall any vampire under the right circumstances. And I'm curious what exactly this means? Is this vampire or this type of vampire a level E vampire? Are they like this because they're starving? Because they've had too much blood? Because they've gotten too isolated from humans? Maybe something else entirely? I'm quite invested in knowing the answer to this little mystery. Preferably sooner rather than later. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm really interested in getting a better grasp on the world building of this universe. I'm also very interested in knowing what exactly Kaname does here. He covers Yuki's eyes before he acts, which is reflected in the viewer's experience of the scene. Yuki doesn't see precisely what happens, and nor do we. There's just this immense wind, and then Hungry Little Boy is gone. One presumes that he's dead, perhaps in the same way as the Bloody Rose Gun evaporated Hungry Lady, but how does this work? Tell me about vampire powers, please. I'm begging you. I want the world building. And I do get some of it, thank goodness. Courtesy of Cross, the show delivers an info dump about pureblood vampires, their rarity, and the existence of their, quote, immense powers. But Konami shifts the conversation to Zero and his impending change. Zero was bitten by a pureblood four years ago, and so he's going through the long and painful process of becoming a vampire, and he's on the verge of losing control which he does now, literally while they're having this conversation. Yuki stumbles across Zero in the hall, and when Zero's attempts to run her off before she gets too close don't work, he grabs her and bites her neck. As per usual, Yuki does almost nothing to save herself, and takes a ludicrous amount of time to piece together that, duh, he's a vampire. I repeat, Yuki, so far in this show, is dumb and useless. And Zero, well, he is a self-hating mess in denial. But that's where our episode ends. I am, of course, very interested in seeing the fallout of this little attack. How does Yuki's relationship with Zero change from here? I'm certain their relationship turns romantic, but surely their bond is tested by this? If Yuki neglects to be properly afraid of him, then surely his own self-hatred will drive a wedge between them. And of course, beyond all the world-building details that I've made quite clear I'm desperate for, we've all kinds of backstory details to explore. Who killed Zero's family, and was there a reason beyond hunger? How did Zero survive the massacre, and was he bitten on purpose? What happened to Yuki before 
before the night when Konami saved her as a little girl. Am I right about Konami and Yuki being siblings? If so, when will that truth come out? And how exactly is their attraction going to survive that kind of a reveal? Will Zero have to join the night class now? Will Konami and Zero end up friends or friendly rivals? Or will they stay antagonistic toward each other? Is there going to be a villain or a larger threat? Or are we just doing school and romance? I'm looking forward to all of these answers, and I'm hoping that the next 10 episodes will provide at least half as satisfying as my middle school self always kind of hoped it would be. Now, as I record this, I'm getting ready to sit down and watch the next three episodes of this show. I'm hoping that they will satisfy, that I will get answers, and that I will be able to get into season two as soon as possible. If you are interested in helping me make sure that I do get to get into season two, you are going to want to go to my Patreon where polls are available for $1 and up patrons. Also, reaction videos are available to $5 and up patrons, and reaction videos currently available include Squid Game, Bly Manor, Midnight Mass, Umbrella Academy, and of course, Vampire Night among many others. If you're not interested in the Patreon, though, a rating and or a review for the podcast would be very much appreciated, or you could just recommend it to a friend or mention it on social media. Other than that, though, I will be back again next week for my coverage of episodes four, five, and six, and I hope you will join me again then. And as always, thank you so much for listening. So the school gates open to let out the night class, and one of them, a blonde-eyed a blonde-eyed? A blonde-eyed blue. Just kill me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs>